0: Anchor Hey guys, welcome to episode 2 of KC Cast. First and foremost, a big thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode and gave their feedback. It really meant a lot to me that you guys took the time to listen and give me your thoughts on how things should be. Uh, I was really happy to hear that you guys liked it for the most part and hopefully this one will be an improvement from the last. It certainly is longer. so. Uh, let's begin, shall we? We've got a lot to unpack this episode, even more so than the last time, so again, let's just jump right in. We're about a week into the summer event now, uh, so we'll just kind of go in order of when all this information came out. So that means we'll start with the news on August 22nd, basically a day after this podcast uh, first came out, when the devs tweeted out the name of the event and event maps so we already knew we were going to be defending brest which i had previously stated as a port city in northwestern france for e1 but we didn't know about crossing gibraltar for e2 so uh, gibraltar by the way is on the southern side of spain where the southern tip of the iberian peninsula is it's just a little bit north of uh, morocco basically for us americans or geographically challenged people out there it's where that western part of europe and africa almost touch. Um, I don't believe E2 here was based off a real operation, but it does have us make our way towards E3, which is uh, called Operation Shingle, which was actually a real-life operation that took place in Italy. Now I'm not going to delve into the full historical listing of how this operation went, but to summarize, it was an amphibious landing at Anzio, a little seaport on the western coast of Italy just south of Rome. So this landing was meant to deliver a big blow to the German army by creating an opportunity to capture Rome. Uh, There were some uh, misunderstandings and ultimately this operation proved to be uh, pretty costly and failed. A fun fact is, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, is that the E2 Hard Reward, the M4A1DD, is a M4 Sherman tank with the designation of DD for duplex drive, indicating amphibious capability. Uh, These tanks were actually landed at Anzio, either from the United States 5th Army or the 741st Tank Battalion. Uh, Also, these early M4DD Shermans were British-made until later on, when the Americans would start making their own. So the KC equipment description is spot on in saying that they were British made. I know I'm covering a fair amount of history here and I actually haven't decided how much history we would cover uh, in this podcast, so if that's something you like or appreciate please let me know and I'll continue to provide historical context and maybe even add in more information next time. Um, As for now, if you're interested in learning more about this event and its historical counterparts, you can google and read up on the Battle for Brest for E1 and Operation Shingle as well as the Battle of Anzio for E3. Uh, by the way, these events did not actually happen in order, so Operation Shingle happened in January of 1944 while the Battle for Breast took place about 7 months later in August, so E3 actually happened before E1 in real life. So with that historical backdrop set for this event, let's quickly go over the new ranking rewards that came out, uh, the patch notes, and then move on to the event itself. Um, everyone in the Top 500 got a Prototype Shusui, it's a new Uh, land-based fighter with two anti-air and eight anti-bomber, as well as a Type II 12-centimeter mortar Kai, which is the new fancy dual-purpose depth-charge anti-insulation piece of gear. Those in the top 100 also received a Messerschmitt ME-163 Komet. It's a uh, German rocket-powered interceptor that was first introduced in 1944. It has just one more anti-bomber stat compared to the uh, prototype with nine. If you replaced 6th to 20th, uh, you actually miss out on the Comet, but you do get a concentrated deployment variant of the mortarkai in return. Um, as for the true no-lifers, they get everything. So one mortarkai with concentrated deployment, one Schmidt Comet, one Prototype uh, Shusui, and one regular Shusui, which has uh, three anti-air and nine anti-bomber stat. Basically one more stat in both AA and anti-bomber compared to the Prototype. Now, keep in mind that all these new land-based high-altitude fighters have a range of one, meaning they are really meant for base defense. You're not really going to have an opportunity to sortie them for air power because of that extremely limited range. Um, The nice thing is the developers did mention that we would get some of this gear in the event, and that's a nice little segue into talking about um, the patch notes and then the event itself. So if you didn't read the patch notes that were posted on August 30th, uh, basically two new things stuck out to me. Uh, We have new high-altitude planes uh, that attack our land bases. These are the silver high-altitude takoyaki. Uh, They, I believe, only show up on medium and hard difficulty after E2, I think. Um, The second is a new mechanic that's called the emergency anchorage repair, which will repair our girls if they're lightly damaged on a map with an anchorage node if Akashi or Akitsushima is in the fleet. Um, So no ship girl will be eligible for repair if they are at 50% health or worse and also Akashi nor Akitsushima can do repairs if they are at Shuha or worse. Now keep in mind that they'll also consume one emergency repair material per run when used. So do be mindful of that if you plan on adding them to your fleet. I know we get a limited supply of them uh, through the event. Personally speaking, I'm not a big fan of this since you're giving up a ship slot in your combined fleet to do this and more than likely, um, either Akashi or Akitsushima is going to be deadweight as well as taking up your escort flagship spot, which is a pretty important place. Um, They did say that Akashi would repair more than Akitsushima and that there is a slight morale boost for the girls that do get repaired, Um, so I guess that is something to consider, but I, I still don't think it's worth it, at least for me anyway. All right, so we finally got all that information out and we can start talking about the event maps. I do want to preface all this information I'm about to state by saying you can find this in several places, including the subreddit, both Wikia and NWiki, uh, some of the Casey Discords. So be sure to check and double check your work to make sure you don't do anything unnecessary or, or dumb. Uh, just make sure your information is correct. So with that said, we'll start with E1, dubbed the Breast Defense Operation. Um, surprisingly, this map is not reliant on anti-submarine warfare like in the past but more dependent on if you're able to field uh, historical ships, namely the French ships if you're tackling a higher difficulty. There are slight bonuses map-wide for Italian, German, and British ships but French ships will have the highest bonus and they also get a bonus against the boss too. Uh, You'll want to save your British ships for E3. E1 is fairly straightforward with two phases. Uh, The first phase is unlocking the boss by reaching and achieving S rank on several nodes, and then Phase 2 will have you fight and defeat French Battleship Princess in Vacation Mode. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, she is weaker to friendships, but with 254 armor on Last Dance uh, if you are doing it on hard, it can be difficult to punch through. I've seen some players try to use the uh, TCI loadout on Destroyers to try and get through that armor, but I think Rishilu has been the main catalyst for success in trying to clear E1. So after you sink the boss a couple of times, you'll be rewarded with Prototype Shusui on all difficulties while those on Easy and Higher will also be issued a hole punch, uh, some emergency repair material, and the Mortar Kai. Uh, You've also got a hard-only reward called the Shipborne Model Type 4 20cm Anti-Ground Rocket Launcher that is meant for installations, I imagine, uh, but it remains to be seen how effective it is in terms of damage and utility since obviously it just came out. We also have our first of four new ship girls as a drop in E1, and that is Mikura, the flagship of the Mikura class destroyer escorts from the Imperial Japanese Navy. Uh, now, her stats aren't really notable in any particular areas, but they do place her on the slightly above average spectrum of destroyer escorts. Uh, in terms of ship drops, though, our spotlight has to, of course, shine on Little U or U511, everyone's favorite little German U boat. She's been gone for about two years now, her last appearance was in summer 2017. Uh, So she carries the coveted Ouija 42 which is uh, fantastic for anti-installation warfare. The developers have stated that you can get a few this event, so it might be a good farming spot to come to. Um, I'll post a link to a graph that lists drop rate for how many dupes you have in the comments below. Just refer to that if you already have uh, a few use. That said, Rishilu is also available as a boss drop if you want to pick her up as well as some of the rarer auxiliary ships like Akitsushima for her flying boat, and Akashi, everyone's favorite and only repair ship. So after successfully repelling the Abyssless Assault in Brest for E1, we begin E2 by approaching the Strait of Gibraltar and fighting the boss of Phase 1, our lovely Harbor Summer Princess. Now she does come with Supply Depot Princess, so be sure to bring your best anti-insulation gear and ships. Uh, Also, as a quick mention, the developers tweeted earlier, um that they fixed the abyssal high altitude planes that were meant to be harder to shoot down and do more damage. Uh, E2 will have the lower damage variant of those reconnaissance type planes, while E3 will have the stronger version appear on medium and hard so as promised by the devs this map does require combined fleet although what you choose is up to you uh, i've been seeing a lot of transport combined fleet and that seems to be because it has better routing although i would imagine it's more for those admirals who have higher level ships and good gear uh, while those not confident in their fleet can opt for a heavier uh, fleet with a longer route i think it's like two extra combat nodes if you take a heavier fleet i think you go through like an node as well too but nonetheless, I've heard and seen so far that E2 Phase 1 isn't that difficult as long as you have some installation gear to bring. So, you know, your Type 89 tank Hatsu, the Ouija the uh, 42, the Type 2 tank, or Type 3 shells if you're bringing any battleships. Um, I'm not sure what bonuses the Type 4 rocket launcher from E1 gives, but like I mentioned before, it's too new to have any conclusive data for now. So after defeating Harper, Summer Princess, we leave and head northeast towards France and Italy for Phase 2. Where we eventually engage with the main operation boss, Abyssal Mediterranean Princess. Uh, so, there's still not that much information out yet for phase two. So, take what I say with a healthy amount of salt and express caution. As I imagine many people, after seeing E3, want to be careful with what they uh, want to commit to E2 in terms of ship girls. I know there's like a oiler fleet comp to help with mitigating ammo loss and that kind of helps minimize the damage reduction penalty but if you can't or don't want to i think people uh roll with like a heavier composition of like four battleships a cv and a cav for main fleet uh you know look it up that uh might actually already be something you ran for phase one which in that case i guess works out for you but anyway after four or five sinks depending on your difficulty Uh, you'll be rewarded with uh, Duca degli Abruzzi, or I guess the Duke of Abruzzi is probably a lot easier to say, uh, the flagship of said Italian-like cruisers, so if anyone can actually teach me how to pronounce that name correctly, that would be great. But yeah, Abruzzi is a great ship reward, her sister already tied Jinsu for best daytime firepower, and now Abruzzi has uh, usurped that claim for herself with 73 at max modernization. Uh, Jinsu does still have the best nighttime power stat over every other light cruiser with 170. Uh, Abruzzi is only around 143 due to that low torpedo stat of 70. Uh, Her HP at 52 is a little problematic with overkill protection purposes, but it's still at the top for most HP on a light cruiser and is tied with her sister. In fact, both of them are the best light cruisers in several combat categories. You've got best starting luck with 30, Uh, Most HP at 52, highest armor at 75, highest daytime uh, firepower at 73 and 72. And they also happen to burn the most ammo and fuel. So something to keep in mind, I guess, as you do pay for performance with these girls. So while Abruzzi is a guaranteed reward for everybody, EZ is going to get a Type 4 20cm rocket launcher, which, like I mentioned before, it's probably for anti-insulation purposes, given the red icon. Uh, They also have new model rocket development material, It seems like we'll be allowed to create more of something in the future through quests after this event, but it hasn't been confirmed, obviously, so we don't know. Uh, For those clearing on medium, they'll also get a medal and a Messerschmitt Comet for their uh, troubles. Lastly, players clearing on hard will obviously receive all the aforementioned gear, as well as the M4A1DD, or uh, basically an M4 Sherman tank that we had talked about earlier. So E2 also has our second ship girl drop and that is uh, Ganacate, the second built uh, maestrali class destroyer and older sister of Libeccio. Uh, unfortunately for her, she still is very similar to her sisters, so middling combat stats outside of ASW, um, and they're still second place to American destroyers in ASW capability. So her saving grace is that, you know she's got good luck, she's got good ASW. She has a little more evasion than her big sister with 94. Uh, if you don't care about stats, she's drawn by Gigi, so I think that's all I need to say. And besides her, the developers have announced uh, earlier that there would be an increased drop rate in E2 for Zada and Pola, so if you need either of them, uh, now's a good time to try and do so in order to avoid that large-scale construction lottery. Uh, it hasn't been stated how long this increased drop rate would last, but I imagine they'd probably let us know until uh, they end it, but it might just go until when the event is over. Uh, So that is E2, and then E3 came out uh, earlier yesterday, or I guess earlier today, I actually recorded this on the 4th, but extended it to the 5th. Anyway, um, naturally there's very little information on what to do besides what's worked for the frontliners, which is what they do best, uh, brute forcing their way through. Uh, Sadly, there was like a second starting point that they weren't able to unlock, but I think that the fact the frontliners were able to brute force the raid without that is a good sign that the boss is pretty manageable. Again, there's a ton of missing information like historical routing, historical ship bonuses. Um, I know that English ships, or British ships, excuse me, uh, will probably be recommended here. I know Jervis did um, quite a bit of damage on TCI. We don't know if there's any notable ship drops, um, but I do know that the boss is going to be fairly difficult to punch through. Uh, I think I saw on Last Dance for Hard, the boss has like 339 armor, so if that's really the case, I, um, I don't know what to say to that. I'm sure we'll certainly rely on Friend Fleet, although Friend Fleet also has not been implemented yet um, and is slated to be in around the halfway point of the event. So I think it's safe to say that we probably still have at least two weeks left before the event is over. And that means I can probably squeeze in one more episode uh, before the event ends. So in that case, I'm probably actually going to hold off on talking about E3 since, again, there really isn't that much information out yet. We know uh, some of the E3 rewards, I think Medium is still out but I have to say that the planes rewarded on hard look quite appealing because of those high AA combined with other stats, but we'll see if it's worth doing. Uh, we also know that the E3 clear reward now is um, HMS Janus, a British DD, which is interesting, by the way, because the devs practically told us who it was when they first put in new voice lines for this event, even before EO came out. If you had like Arc Royal and Warspite as your secretary uh, secretaryship, they clearly say that we need to find Janus and bring her home. So I think that's the first time we've ever seen that happen, which is pretty cool. So that's it for the second episode, I think. I do want to end on asking how you guys are doing, since I actually realized last time that I didn't offer an opportunity at all for community discussion. So yeah, tell me how you're doing in the event. Uh, Have you started yet? What difficulty are you aiming for? Are you in the Friend Fleet waiting room? Uh, What do you think of this event so far? Let me know in the comments. I'm always eager to see how people react to the event since I've been in every event uh, after I started in Spring 16. Uh, reactions have always been fun for me to watch. I'm actually planning on going all hard myself and getting another first class medal if possible, but I haven't started the event yet, so uh, I don't know. We'll see how I do on E3. Hopefully Gekare will be an easy drop as well as Mikura. And that's it. Second episode done. Uh, I was really blown away by the support I got, and I'm both incredibly humbled and incredibly embarrassed by the amount of people that actually listened. I thought this was going to be maybe like a dozen listens max but no there were a lot more than that and from over like 20 different countries so uh, thank you thank you thank you. I will continue to do my best with these every two weeks. Uh, Please remember to take care of yourselves and your girls. I'll see you guys next time.